Hey, guys. Like uh, Maggie said, my name is Tommy, and uh, I'm, I currently serve as worship pastor at River of Life in Kent. My wife and family and I just moved here from New York three years ago, August 6th. So we're still kind of new to the area. And seven minutes isn't enough time to get rid of the butterflies. So I'm just going to break the ice with this. Um, my wife and I have, have uh, two different views about poop. Her view is completely different than mine. My view is more scientific Base. It has a it has a has a base, and not to say that she's wrong or anything. She's brilliant. She's beautiful. She's awesome, but she feels that going once is fine. You can't find. That's not in the Bible. The doctors say two to three times a day is is healthy. That's what you're supposed to do. Two to three times a day, and I I stand by that. I stand by it. The ice broken now. Everybody's cool. Bodily functions, this is how we are created. This is what we do. So I said all that to say, right, I said all that to say this. The way we think about something is the way we treat it. If we think about it that way, that's the way we're going to act towards it. When Maggie came to me and asked me about uh, doing five or seven, I was like, sure. She was like, all right, talk about something that you're passionate about. I was like, oh, I'm passionate about poop. I'm passionate about uh, dogs, martial arts, and things like that. But the Lord said, don't forget about worship. You're passionate about helping people understand what worship is. What is worship? What is real worship? And I want to submit to you really quickly that worship, real worship, if you look at the actual definition of it, has nothing to do in Hebrew and Greek. So in the Old Testament and the New Testament, has nothing to do with singing. Absolutely has nothing to do with singing, but more so it has to do with laying prostrate. Now that's the physical. We can do that in this setting. Everybody here knows the Lord, right? Nobody here is an unbeliever. Everybody here knows that we can do that in this setting. But what do you do? At your job, are you laying on the floor at your, at your job? So the actual definition, the, spiritual, the physical definition, the spiritual definition is actually a heart posture. It's a heart posture. How does your heart look? Because I could sing to my wife all day long. You are so beautiful to me. Can't you see? I could get on my knees and do the R&B finger. I could do the whole thing. I could do the whole thing. But the next day, cheat on her. That would make my song mean completely nothing. I know that because I did that. For five years, traveling the world, singing all over the place, I was go from stage, leading worship, helping on the worship team, go out to the world, sing to God how much I love him, but go out to the world and cheat on my wife. My song meant nothing. My life 
was telling the story. My heart posture was not where it was supposed to be. A lot of times we, we say things like, well, I love worshiping God. I, I said that. I'm guilty of it. I love worshiping God. What I really meant was I love singing to him. John Bevere says in his book, Good or God, worship is not about who we sing to. It's about who we obey. And I was not obedient. I was not an obedient son. Because for me, singing to him was way easier than obeying him. It was way easier. It's still easier to just sing to him, holy, holy. Let me go get this. Let me go get this girl's number. Heal. It's way easier to sing to him than it is to obey him. And I want to prove to you that worship further is not about singing, but it is how we live. It is solely and completely about how we live. Romans 12, 1 and 2 in the message version and in the NIV, in the King James. But I like how the message version says it because it, it breaks it down a little bit more. So here's what I want you to do with God helping you. Take your everyday, your ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your pooping. That's not in there, but <laughs> won't put it past the message. Uh, you're eating, you're going to work. You're walking around your everyday life and place it before God as an offering. He said your everyday life, the stuff you do on a daily basis. The NIV says, therefore, I urge you. Paul is talking now with one minute left. Paul is talking to the Romans, the, the believers, the newly converted believers in Rome who have to live under that authority. He's telling them, I urge you, under this regime that we have to live under, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't look like them. Look like him. Living sacrifice, walking dead. Then he says at the end of that verse, this is your true worship. How you live under this is your true worship. So I just wanted to encourage you guys. Singing is awesome. But how are you living off the stage? Thank you, guys. It's a good word. Awesome. Clocks at zero. Well, my name is Sarah Jolk, and I'm also a part of Northwest Worship Collective, and I have the privilege of working with this guy right here. I just honor him. Let's give him one more hand. That's awesome. So... I had a whole different thing to tell you this morning, but the Lord just dropped this word in my heart last night, so we'll just see what he does, okay? All right, so here's my question to you. Are you willing to sit in the season that God has you in? Do you know that he's writing a story? Do you know that at this moment, the seemingly mundane, antiquated routine of days of waiting are the days when the story is taking root? What if it's not about the outcome? but it's about the in-between. 
Come on, hear that. What if it's not about the outcome, but if it's about the in-between? See, so often we live our lives waiting for these outcomes, the marriage, the child, the test results, the job, but God isn't in the business of outcomes. He's not. He's in the business of our stories. He's in the business of restoration. He's in the business of showing his glory through these stories. So sometimes he allows us to sit in the mess, but the good news, my friends, is that he sits with us. Yeah? He sits with us. So I was talking to a new friend about this yesterday. Who here has cooked a Thanksgiving dinner? Just raise your hand real quick. Yeah. Amen. Does it take a while? Yes. <laughs> Does it take preparation? Come on. Does it take waiting? Yes. Is there some fallout all over the kitchen? Yeah. I don't know about yours. Bless you if it's not, but mine looks like a hurricane went through it. And if the turkey isn't done, does it bring health? Mm-mm. <laughs> I'm sure we all have a few uh, frozen turkey stories here. Mine was a 22-pounder. <laughs> so hear this. But if the preparation and the waiting are all done and things have cooked to perfection, that meal is a ministry to the people that enjoy it. Yeah, that meal's a ministry. Are you willing, again, to sit in the season that God has you in, to let things cook in you, to let them come to fruition so that they are a ministry to others and to you. You get to eat the meal too. That's good news, my friends. I've been the person trying to press my way through a season on my own strength, right? Come on, we've all done it, right? Yeah. You know where that got me? Panic attacks, severe stomach pain, severe depression, and a total lack of knowing who and what my identity actually was. I forgot who I was. And because of that, I didn't act like the person God made me to be. I didn't want to be acting the way I was. See, we're not simply meant to press through towards the outcome. We are meant to be still and know that he is God. Yeah? Come on, you can say amen louder than that. Be still and know that he is God. Do you know that your doing is actually your rest? Don't miss this. This is huge. God's thinking is so counterintuitive to the way that we think that rest in him is the greatest weapon he gives us. Yeah. So when was the last time you rested in God? Do you remember the path to the secret place? Or has it been a minute? It's okay if it has. Has it been all about emotions and not about sustenance? Are you filling up on sugar? (laughs) Come on, you get the highs and the lows with that. Do you have the protein, the carbs, the richness of being in the word of God and letting him speak to you through that? Your rest is your weapon. I'm not necessarily talking about sleep or going to the spa, even though that's great. Here's what I mean by rest. Your steadfast peace and knowing who you are in Christ and who he is is this great weapon. Your surrender, like Pastor Chris was talking about, your stubborn dedication to spending time with him in the quiet place, surrendering to the Lord without the religious spirit. Amen. (laughs) When we stop surrendering, when we stop that rest, we begin to lose the battle. Right? We start the striving the second we stop surrendering. Do you know, child of God, that your identity is what causes fear to strike into the enemy's heart? Your identity, 
who God has made you to be. Not necessarily all those extra things, even though they're well and good, you know, being a singer, being a worker, being a businessman, et cetera, those are great, but that's not your true core identity. Your true core identity is knowing that you are his son and his daughter, standing firm and saying, I am redeemed. I am washed by the blood of Christ. My sins are forgiven. I'm made whole. I'm made clean. I'm made new. I am dead to sin and alive in Christ. That, my friends, is what strikes fear into the enemy's heart. That's resisting, amen? And I don't know about you, but I think things like anxiety we were talking about a lot yesterday belongs back to where it came from. Yeah, with the enemy. It can camp out there. It doesn't need to be here. So my question for you is this. What is God cooking in you? Did you know that he constantly has new things to give to you? In each season, even in the driest ones, you will look back in the faithfulness of waiting, and sometimes you might actually kind of miss that season of waiting. Amen? I know I have. Even if it's a hard season. Because you know what that does? When you're waiting and you're trusting and you're leaning on him, it just sows your heart and Jesus' heart together like this, right? And your intimacy with him grows so deeply. So the last thing I'll tell you is this. A few years ago, more than a few at this point, I was in a major season of waiting It was eight months, which is not that long in the scheme of things, but it was long to me of not knowing or being able to plan my next steps. I happened to be in college at the time, and when you can't move ahead and you can't plan your classes and you can't, you know, sign up for things, that is very uh, fear-causing sometimes. But God was setting me up to go through the door that would set me up for the next six years of equipping that would never have happened had I not listened and waited through that season So if you want to look into more about waiting, even the lifelong story we have of waiting on the expectation of our king to return, check out Romans 8, especially the last part of it. So here's the last word for you, my friends. You don't have to press through on your own strength. Your rest is a weapon. Your waiting season, you're sitting in the story with Jesus. Your resting will never be wasted. Amen. Hey there. Uh, my name is Shane Lance. Uh, my wife and I are worship pastors at East Point Church. Uh, we love this house. I won't take up too much time doing this, but I'm a little old school in this way. I want to honor uh, Pastor Tracy and Pastor Natalie and Pastor Matt and Pastor Maggie. We love you guys. You feel like family. I don't know how Pastor Matt works here because I feel like he works at our church. <laughs> um, he gets to come and be with us often, and we love that. He feels truly like family. Um, I love a house that prioritizes a move of, of the Spirit over anything and everything. Um, I come from an old Pentecostal background, so seven minutes. I, I read that as 70 minutes, um, and so I think I'm good. I think that clock is... Um, no, I'll jump right in. In fact, I cut my media thing because I just don't have time for that. Um, although it's a really powerful clip from an old sermon by S.M. Lockridge. That's my king, if anyone's heard that. Really sweet, powerful. Look it up. Um, I want to speak today simply about worship being focused on Jesus. Our youth pastor, Jonah Coyne, uh, for those of you who might know him, yes, he loves Jesus like uh, like not many people I know. And recently he said 
what if worship was just worship? And I, I, I heard it, and I, you know, it's something we might hear often, but it really hit my spirit, that thought that what if we just allowed worship to be worship, focused solely on Jesus? And I'll start and finish with this. Allow your time of worship to be just simply adoration of the king. Because isn't, isn't he so good? He's so good. It's so easy in a, uh, in a charismatic culture or in like the kind of tent revival. Uh, I'm not that old, but somehow like they just hadn't let go of it by the time I came around. And so I got a lot of those vibes as a kid. And I absolutely loved it. I have nothing to say about it. But in that culture, it's easy to get focused on the gifts and forget to pursue or praise the giver. And if, as a kid, I remember a lot of like post, my parents were pastors. I come from generations of, of pastors. That's the 70-minute sermon that you're going to get. Um, but I remember conversations after services with like traveling ministers. And again, the heart was always, I believe, in the right place. But conversations about whether or not the anointing had come. And it, it hardly had to do with how much we adored Jesus and had more to do with like, well, how many demons were puked into garbage cans? Uh, How many times did Sister Jean fall out? Um, Was there enough laugh crying? And you you only get to know what a laugh cry sounds like if you've been in a Pentecostal culture. Uh, My Mimi, my grandma, has the absolute best laugh cry. And I mean that with all due respect. Um, But it was often focused on those moves. And so instead of assessing the effectiveness of our time of worship uh, by simple adoration, it was based on the fruit of that time. And I realize that can sound contradictory. I'll actually address that if I can make time for it here in a second. But I'd just like to encourage you, uh, pursue the giver, adore the giver, and the gifts will come. Uh, Our pastor says, Pastor James often says, and I've heard this many places, but if you pursue his hands, it's just weird. But if you pursue his face, you get his hands too. And I've I've been around weird a lot, and it's always been rooted in truth. But I know what weird looks like when it's not rooted in adoration of Jesus. And it it has to start in that place. So if, if you miss everything else that I say, I'll give you one practical thought, and that is... Make that your default. Uh, begin in that place. And that applies to everyone, but I guess in this moment I am speaking to worshipers and worship leaders. Make that your default. Begin in that place of simple adoration of his goodness. Uh, if, if you find you're in a moment during a service where you don't know where to go, default back to that place. If you don't know where to end, default back to that place. It's so easy for, in those quiet moments, for us to just like, Another word, and just give another word. I'm going to reference a movie that I will not endorse from the stage. Don't raise your hand if you've seen it, because I don't want to know who's going straight to hell. <laughs> but uh, in the movie Bridesmaids, if, if any of you are worldly enough to have seen that movie, there's a moment where they're at an engagement party, and uh, two women are passing the mic back and forth, and they just keep giving uh, a speech because they want to be the favorite. They want to be the last one. And so there's a lot of this like, oh, I, well, I just love you so much. And then like, okay, that's, that's going to be the last word. And then the other woman would come up and say, well, I just, I just, I'm, that's so good. Just one more thing though. And then they do that probably five or six times. And I think in those spaces, that's often our default is to feel like we can't just sit in adoration and in the presence and we have to add to it. 
Um, and so just be careful. Take that with a grain of salt, too. And I'm going to veer off and, and get pastoral for a second and say that I am a firm believer that in the kingdom, two things can be true at once. And so what I say by, or what I mean by that is don't let this message, me encouraging you to be comfortable resting, don't let it squelch your voice either because the person who's coming after me, no pressure, um, but, but th- someone else might speak on how you need to unleash those things. Does that make sense? Like th- there could be a counterintuitive message coming immediately after this that says we, we need to-, to speak more prophetic words or-, or more healings, and that would be powerful and true as well, but I think both things can be true at once, and it's just based on season. This is what I'm, I'm sensing now, and someone else might sense something else in a different moment. When I was a kid, if, if it was 40 degrees out, my mom told me to put a coat on, and then the next day it was 70, which is only possible here, um, and she told me to put sunscreen on. She wasn't wrong when she told me to put the coat on. She just knows what the atmosphere feels like, and so that's not even my, my message, but take that as a word. You can hear two words. Don't be stingy with words. If you hear two contradicting words, Pastor Tracy spoke last night about getting our no back, and it that was absolutely powerful. I heard a powerful sermon two weeks ago focused on, yes, I'm going to take both. I'm a buffet guy. I'll take both. They can both be true. All the way back. Keep it focused on Jesus. Just simply keep it focused on Jesus. If, if not one person is healed, but we worship him, isn't, isn't that enough? If, if not one person pukes a demon, but he, we worship him, isn't that enough? And then here's what I'll end with. He's so good, he's so worth worshiping no matter what we get back, that in that place, we get all of those things. So if, if you make that your foundation, I can promise you, because I know him really well. I know him. He, he'll show up, and if you make it about him, he'll make it about you. In Jesus' name, the whole church said. Right? Each one of those people, each one of those people were faced with things that could have torn them down, could have broken them down and made them fear moving forward, made them fear achieving success, things that only they are meant to do. I I don't know if all of them have completely felt their call. I know some of them need some Jesus in their life, for sure. But the the point being is that I'm going to read through a, a portion of Matthew 25, And it starts off, this is from the message, and it says, It's also like a man going off on an extended trip. He said he called his servants together and delegated their responsibilities. To one he gave five thousand dollars, to another two thousand, to a third one thousand, depending on their abilities. Then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. The second did the same, but the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. One given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled the investment. His master commended him, good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant with the 2000 showed how he had also doubled his master's investment. His master commended him, good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant given 1000 said, master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and I secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. 
It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risks the most and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. The third servant was waylaid by his fear. He was held back because of his fear of feeling hurt, rejected maybe, failing his leader, failing the person that they looked forward to uh, seeing a smile on their face. You know, we, we, we want to please God. We want to choose the, the way that's going to fulfill his purpose, right? But we're each actually puzzle pieces that he intricately designed. He designed you, Micaiah, to specifically do something that only you can do. Terry, he designed you to do something only you can do. And I can't do it. And it works together like a puzzle piece. And the thing is, is if we don't fulfill this promise, we become like the Israelites. We see it in Hebrews 4. And if we don't fulfill this promise faithfully, we will become ruined like the servant. We will no longer just fail, but we will become a ruin. We We won't reach the reward of the promise that God has for us, not just for ourselves, but for the whole picture. So let's be ones that are filled with faith, faith in the God that created you, the intricacies of you. He equipped you with everything that you need. And in that moment, when you choose to fail forward, when you choose to look at the failure that you are possibly going to make, know that it's not in vain. Because if you fail, you fail. You learn from it, right? It's when you don't learn from it and you choose to back away and you choose to reject the thing that God has called you to specifically. Every day, every moment, every gift that God has given you. It is very vital for each of us to choose that moment and say, I'm going to learn. And there there was a moment when I, you know, I, I had a little bit of fear coming into a certain season of my life. I was experiencing a lot of places where I could, um, things could go wrong. I was leading something, right? It came to a time where I felt pretty confident. One day, everything went wrong. And I thought, oh no, there's plenty of things that I missed the mark in. What do I do now? And I had to choose in that moment. It doesn't matter where I feel like I've been missing it or messed it all up. It's what I do with this moment and choose to take this as something that catapults me toward the reward. And in my heart, I felt good about the failure. For the first time, I felt good about messing it up. I said, oh, I know what to do next time. I'm going to do it better next time. And if I fail, I'll do it again because the risk is worth the reward. The risk is where you will find your fulfillment in the promise. And keep trying because you are a process and God is making you in to the reward in the puzzle piece of the bigger reward. Hello, everybody. I'm the last one, so that means I get to take the longest. So, a lot of thoughts in my head, so bear with me as I go through this. So, love with your passions, okay? 
The two greatest commandments that Jesus gave us was to love God and to love others. So loving with the talents, the skills, the passions and, and desires that you have received not only shows that you are a good steward with what you have received, but that you genuinely do love God and you genuinely love people. To me, that's why I feel like it's very important that you know what it is you're passionate about, to know what your calling is. It sets that course for your life so you can fully devote yourself to loving God. And you also know that whatever you do will be great because the Father is in it with you. And when you live out your calling, people will see the love of the Father for them through you. And they will also see that you love them as well. So know what your passions are. Whatever stage in life you're at, if you don't know what you're supposed to do, ask him for it. He will reveal that to you. If you know, awesome. Ask for more revelation about it. Ask how to be a good steward with what you've been given. Ask how to love well with it. But it's not about your calling, though. It's about filling the earth with his glory, filling the earth with his love, and to love him back. Uh, so when I ask God, like, what exactly is love? How do I explain this, really? I mean, love is thrown a lot in the world. Not a lot of people really know what it really means. So, God, <laughs> what do you want me to say about it? So he led me to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. We all know that one. Love is patient. Love is kind. All that stuff. But I felt the Spirit was asking me to, uh, to read it a little differently. So I'm going to read it like this. I am patient with God. I am kind to God. I am not jealous of God. I do not brag about myself, and I'm not arrogant. I'm not prideful. I do not act unbecomingly towards God. I do not seek my own interest. I am not provoked. I do not take into account the wrong things that have been done to me and blame God for it. I don't rejoice in unrighteousness, but I rejoice in the truth. I bear all things. I believe all things, I hope all things, and I endure all things with God. My love for God will never fail. So ask yourself, I ask this too, of myself, do we love God this way? And it's an opportunity to improve on it. Whatever we're lacking in, it's not, it's not an opportunity to put shame on ourselves or condemnation. That's the devil. But it's an opportunity to improve. We go from glory to glory every single time. It's all to honor him. He loves it when we do things to please and honor him. It's not from a works perspective, but we genuinely do love him, and we want to genuinely become more like him. Uh, let's play that video real quick. That kind of talks about it a little bit. The, the point is, is that there, the Lord is attracted as a father to the things that are done to please him, not to earn in some perverted sense, but to honor him, to please him with, with who we are, with what we think, with what we plan, with what motivates us in, in, to, to give, what motivates us to, to do anything, to serve, to minister. What's the motivation? What's, what's the heart? Where do we come from when we decide to be bold? Are we trying to get another notch on our list of spiritual characters, characteristics we're trying to develop? Or do we actually have that kind of a pa passion for people? Do we actually have that kind of a passion for the Lord? Do we like the music or, or, or are we actually that excited about Jesus himself? And he's looking for that heart that gets refined by seeking first the kingdom 
so that he can trust us with everything else we need. In fact, it's like he says, I'll worry about this, you worry about this. You worry about the number one thing, I'll take care of everything else. So Matthew 6, verse 25 through 33, talks about that, right? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. First seek that. Then he will add all the things, right? But we don't worry about the things. He will take care of that. So, again, it's a, we, we don't know what the future holds for us. Well, we think we may know, but we really don't. So let's not worry about the things we can't control. Let God control all that. We just focus on adoring him. We just focus on loving him. It has to come from a place of genuine love towards him. And it's not about getting anything back. It's not about filling our great calling. It's about him. That's all it is. In Proverbs 3, uh, verse 5 through 10, I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation because I think it just says it so well. Um, Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all of your heart, rely on him to guide you, and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do, and he will lead you wherever you go. Don't think for a moment that you know it all, for wisdom comes when you adore him with undivided devotion and avoid everything that's wrong. Then you will find the healing refreshment your body and spirit long for. Glorify God with all your wealth, honoring him with your very best and with every increase that comes to you then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. So love God and desire him. He will give you the passions of your heart, but that first comes from a place of our genuine love for him and our passion for him with no ulterior motives. And he will trust that we will use our passions and our desires to display his love towards others. So love with your passions. Thank you very much.